Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch and welcome to Ovicast, the Chaka Sheep Podcast. Each episode will bring you less insights, advice and technical updates for the sheep industry. In this week's episode, we catch up with Dr. Dave Leafweek following this year's National Sheep Conference. Dave is a Principal Scientist in Parasitology at Ag Research in New Zealand, has a career of almost 25 years looking at nematode parasites in grazing livestock with a focus on the biology, control, development and management of resistance. We discuss the challenge of antenomic resistance and the factors that contribute to its development. And in a wide range of discussion, Dave explains in detail the impact of dosing adult yews for worms has on the development of resistance. We finish up the podcast discussing how worm control will require a change in mindset going forward with an aim to maintain a successful worm population on farms. We start off, however, with discussing the development of resistance over the years in New Zealand. Apologies in advance, this recording was in person, so there is some background noise during the podcast. Like everywhere, resistance has just been steadily increasing over many years, and we don't, we're really struggling to slow it down and get on top of it. Um, in New Zealand today, we're starting to get to a bit of a crisis point. On average, our, our prevalence figures are very similar to Ireland. So on average, we have about the same number of farms failing, uh, failing tests where, where they're testing. But we're starting, what we've seen recently is quite a shift in the species that are showing up as resistant. So as I understand it here, most of the resistance occurs in a worm called Talodosagia, and that was the case in New Zealand for many years, but in the last 18 months, two years, we're starting to see other worm species, particularly Trichostromulus, which is the black scar worm, and that sort of, that's reared its ugly head, if you like, um, and we're now starting to see resistance in two parasite species at the same time, and that's made quite a change for farmers, so we get... Uh, issues with resistant worms in the spring from Talodosagia and now we're getting them later in the season into winter from Trichostromula. So things have got considerably worse, um, but the stats sort of roughly say it's the same, but the severity of resistance is getting worse. Like, I suppose some of the same problems are there, knowing what actual status is on the farm. Are New Zealand farmers any more aware of what's working on the farms? Or you, like you've seen some Irish data. Uh, I think it's changing. It's changing because word of mouth is spreading. Um, it's it's dreadfully difficult to get farmers to test um, because they think they will see uh, they will see a problem and they don't need to test for it, which is not true. And um, so, traditionally, New Zealand farmers would have been very much like Irish farmers. They don't want to test. Uh, it's too hard. It's too difficult. You know, it's too expensive. But that's, I believe that's changing because now, you know, the, the guy next door's got resistance, the boys in the pub have got resistance, um, and it's becoming a problem for them. So farmers are starting to change and they're becoming more interested and more willing to spend the money and test. And look, you've a clear work put into this, but getting in early enough is still probably one of the biggest issues. Like, getting in that stage where you can actually do something about oh the challenge on the farm absolutely um and we've had years of practice with this and we know it works if you if you test regularly and you find a resistance problem early then it's not that difficult to get rid of it you can make some subtle changes and you can deal with it and it doesn't cost you a lot of money if you 
don't do that and you wait until things get really serious and you have clinical disease or dead animals, then it's much, much harder and it's much more expensive to come back. Look, we could talk to you at length about the different aspects that contribute to resistance, but at the time you're at at the moment, we're coming up pre-lamin, treating adult yews. It's something, like it's a practice that's commonplace on some farms in Ireland, it's commonplace on farms in New Zealand. Yep. If we maybe just talk for a few moments about that, like if we start with the concept of the need for treatment or the, or the reason why people traditionally treat yews pre-lamin. Yep. So, um, it's, at least in New Zealand, every farmer will tell you that they have to do it and every veterinarian will tell you that you have to do it. And But the evidence... The, the trial data to support that is um, quite dubious. It's almost non-existent. So, yes, you can get a production benefit from drenching use, but you just as e- equally might not. And so it's, it's, one of those, um, it's one of those things where there may or may not be a benefit, and um, often there isn't, or it's minimal. And so it's very hard to justify doing it on a calendar basis so you know the idea that you have to do it every year at in the same week you know um there's no no real data to support that kind of an argument let's tease this one out a little bit more now, i'll throw in the caveat we're talking about adult yews here we're not talking about lactating yearlings we're not talking about individual yews we're talking flock treatment of adult yews that performance benefit the yourself it, it's not a health it's not a big health compromise for the yourself. You're talking production benefit. It's cleaner pasture. It's it's reducing that burden, or that was the theory, at least. Are we actually significantly reducing the pasture burden? Or in a lot of cases, for intensive sheep farmers, where our pastures are contaminated anyway, maybe our understanding of pasture contamination isn't what it should be. But if they're grazing the same area consistently year in year out, are we actually reducing the burden that much by treating those? Um, it's that's. A somewhat tricky question for me, coming from the other side of the world. Um, but I think wherever you go, the, the evidence is quite clear. There are there are two sources of infection for young lambs, and one is one is possibly the postparturient rise, so that's the egg count from the ewe, and the other is the survival of larvae over winter from last season's lambs, which are the prime. So where I come from. The major source is the contamination from that overwinters on pasture. And in some years, if the weather is conducive, which means warm, because it has to be warm, um, the, the eggs passed by the ewe can make, that contrib- can make a contribution of, to infection in the lamb. So it's sort of not a black and white answer, it's sort of a grey answer, but that's probably the truth. Um, so look, one of the things we chatted about there at the beginning was the development of resistance. What impact has it? Like, why is it an issue treating yews from a resistance point of view? What are we actually doing? Maybe just take us through what happens if we treat okay. yews. I, I suppose the context of this is that, as we indicated, in a lot of farms we don't know what actually works. So if we just yeah, well, going, going in blank, treating your other flock on an assumption that we're reducing the pasture burden, what's the negative impact that has on development yep. of resistance? So... There's actually two questions in there, um, and the the idea that treating use would be bad for drug resistance uh, dates way back to um, 
the late 1970s, early 80s, from people um, here at this part of the world, and at least in the UK, um, where it was, it was the parasitologists in those days said, well, if the ewe is a source of infection in lambs and you treat them, then you just screened all the infection into your lambs by treating the ewe. And, and that's turned out to be true. That's the case. So, in fact, if the, if the post-parturient rise is an, is an important source of infection in your lambs, then that makes drenching the ewe even worse. Right? Because you're screening all the larvae that go into your lamb flock, you're screening them with a single treatment. Now, that obviously that varies depending on the contribution of where that infection comes from in the lambs. But that, essentially that's the argument. And so we've been, we've been working on this for, for decades and we started by building computer models and showing that um, that pre-lamb treatment was a significant cause of drug resistance. And then we did the unthinkable, we actually went out and tested that in big scale field trials that took, took us five years and um, well in excess of a million euros to do that experiment where we infected pastures with worms, um, put in treatments where we either did or didn't treat use pre-lamb and essentially the, the pre-lamb treatments uh, accelerated the development of drug resistance by about 100%. So we doubled the speed. There's, there's no question that, that these pre-lamb treatments uh, increase drug resistance. Just to break that down, all that's going to survive that pre-lamb treatment, unless your product is 100% effective, Correct. which at this stage on yep. farms none really are, all that's going to survive it is the resistant worms. Yep. And you're now seeding that pasture for the year with more resistant worms. Yes, and that's going into your lambs. And think of your lambs as, as worm factories. Because huh? young lambs have no immunity, they pick up and multiply worms faster than any other stock on the farm. So what you're doing is you're creating a pool of resistant worms, and then you multiply those up as fast as you can by putting them into your young stock. So the thing that you said, which um, is re very relevant, is if you're using... A, um, a pre-lamb treatment and you don't know that it's 100% effective then you've already started down the process of, of increasing resistance so if the first thing you've got to ask yourself is do I have resistance on my farm and if you can't answer that then you shouldn't be doing it anyway because um, there's every chance that you have resistance and all you're doing now with those pre-lamb treatments is making it worse right? so I suppose this is probably where a little bit of our mindset has changed over the last number of years, and we're starting to hear terms like refugia a lot more. Mm. We're actually moving to a stage, instead of looking at a total kill on worms, our whole concept of how we're going to manage this going forward has to be how we manage that susceptible population or that refuge for worms are still susceptible to those. I suppose in that context, that's where treating yours becomes a really big issue, that we're not actually keeping... Any level of refuse yep. coming through from the yews at all? Yep. If you treat your whole ewe flock um, pre-lamb, then that essentially that's every animal on the farm. Assuming that you have no lambs, you might have some replacement ewes, but if you treat those as well, but by treating your ewe flock at that time of year, there's nowhere for those susceptible worms to survive on the farm. 
which means there's no refugia, and that's the worst, the worst way you can go about it. Just in terms of treatment, uh, look, as a time of year too, where certain longer-acting products will be used, your moxidectin-type products, does that have any implication on the lambs or the level of, it that, of the product that they're exposed to yep. by treating eel? Yep. So that's, that's a really interesting um, question, and it's one that we've done quite a lot of work on in the last few years. So the ML, the macrocyclic lactones, the ML group 3, I think you call them, they, they like fat. They're very what we call lipophilic, and they absorbed into fat. And, of course, what's, what's the U producing is colostrum and milk. So these drugs, um, and this is widely known and shown many times, so when you treat a U with an ML product, that drug goes into the milk and is transferred into the lamb. So if you treat your ewes pre-lamb with a moxidectin injection, those lambs are being, are being dosed every day from birth until they stop suckling. So maybe seven or eight weeks of age. And so you don't, you don't think about that because you haven't, you've never touched those lambs, they've never been treated. But in fact, you've treated them every day at an unknown rate because it depends how many lambs there are and how much milk they drink and that milk, that drug in those lambs is in fact screening the worm population as those lambs start to eat grass and ingest larvae you're actually screening the worm population in the lambs but even though you've never treated them So there's a little bit of a double whammy there so we've, we've put out more resistant worms from the yews by treating them yep. whatever survived the dose now we're also exposing worms on the pasture in the lambs when they go through them to an unquantified level of dose or yep. an un- effectively it could be underdose or, in the most cases yes. giving them a greater chance to develop resistance as well yes okay yes. so well, it, it's speeding up in two yep in, on it's two doing fronts. things that you never thought you were doing and and until recently we didn't really think about that or even know that we were doing it I suppose maybe to put this in context of where we started off to, like our group three products, our microcyclic lactones, by and large for the mid-season is what we were depending on for worm control. Now we're heavily selecting for the development of resistance in them by treating yields with those products. Yep. On two fronts. Yep. And, and the reality, so the, there's, the, there's a subtle, another side to that question is um, as these drugs start to fail more, the, the benefit from treating use with these drugs which are not working properly anymore is actually declining. And so you're getting less and less benefit. Uh, even if you are assuming you are getting a benefit, you're at, the benefit's actually declining. So The cleaner pasture's not as clean as it is. It's not as clean as it was. And, and any production benefit that you might be thinking that you're getting, that's actually declining as well. And so in New Zealand today, where it's been looked at, there are almost no farms left where moxidectin injection eliminates egg count in, in use over parturition and lactation. So I suppose in some ways, look, one of the issues is we don't know what the resistance level is in farms. But even independent of that, managing a susceptible population going forward, keeping refugia, reducing the amount of treatments, yose is probably the first thing we need to look at and stop treating. It's certainly the easiest. So, to take to take treatments away from a from a ewe flock is much much easier than it is to stop drenching lambs. 
simply because they use an adult sheep, they've got a fully developed immune system, they've finished their growth phase, um, you know, they're big, fat, healthy animals if they're well fed. And it's remarkable at, at home how surprised farmers often are when they stop drenching their ewes and they don't notice any difference. They thought that they had to do it, and when they stop doing it, it doesn't sort of make much difference. So, To an extent, well, is there a certain extent of a comfort factor in treating them? Are you maybe trying to address nutritional or other issues and um, going after worms instead? Oh, I, I think there's definitely a... Um, you know, there's a there's a um, definitely a comfort in it. I had a I was with a vet one day who said to a farmer, "Why are you so emotionally attached to putting long actings into your use?" And the farmer was aghast and said, "I'm not emotionally attached." And the vet went, "Yes, you are." And and that was actually a really telling moment because it is. It's a lot about emotion. It's, I don't want anything to go wrong, so I'm going to treat. The, and that, 20 years ago, that was probably a fine. You could, you could take that attitude, and it didn't make any difference. Today, you can't take that attitude, because we're running out of chemicals. The drugs are not working as well as they should, and, and we're probably not going to get any more. So things are going to change. They're going to change now, because farmers choose to change, or they're going to change when it all falls to pieces and they have no choice. You're touching something interesting. We'll wrap up in this bit, but there is a mindset change that's going to happen, that has to happen in terms of how we control this. We can't solely rely on just chemical treatment. We probably have to look at a more holistic approach to how we treat worms. Some of it come back to some of the basics Mm -hmm. we'd have covered years ago, but there is a change coming in terms of how we control this. Yes, and, it and it's and it's you know it's a storm. It's it's going to happen. It's it's not something you can ignore and say it's not. You know, it's like a hurricane. It's going to happen, and it's just a case of who's it going to happen to first. And we're in New Zealand today. It's starting to happen to people on a on a quite consistent basis. And the phone's ringing, and people are saying, "Hey, I need help. I've I've got a real problem, and I don't know how to deal with it." Dave, it's been interesting talking to you. Look, there's many aspects of that we could talk a lot more about, but it was great catching up with you there. I really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. I'm afraid we'll have to finish it up there for this week. Again, I'd like to thank Dave for giving up his time to be with us. It's a huge area in terms of dealing with resistance factors contribute to it. Hopefully we might be able to get him back on at a later stage. I have included a link in the description to Dave's paper on this year's National Sheep Conference. It's well worth read, as are the other papers within that booklet. That's it for me for this episode. Again, for updates from our sheep programme, keep an eye on our Twitter page at Chaga Sheep. I'm Kieran Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts.